Welcome to the Center Specific Impact Podcast, focused on the importance of data in a 21st century world. We discuss data-centric topics such as fundamentals of data use, strategies for building buy-in within your organization, the role your community plays in this work, and much more. Today, we're discussing COVID-19's effect on distance learning how our own GovX Academy has adapted to that change and what strategies you have to help overcome, cope, manage, and thrive. We're joined by Tim Dodd and Richard Dunks, two of the Academy instructors, and Stacy Zake, the Academy's director. I'm your host, Akis Forsyth, curriculum developer at GovX Academy, and we have Michael, course manager. Let's go ahead and talk to our guests. Why don't you all start off by telling us a little bit about who you are and what brought you here today. Tim, let's start with you. Thanks, Akis. So I came to GovX in June with, I would say, about almost 14 years of experience in government. When I first started out, I was a teacher. I taught at the middle school level primarily, and then I went into public administration. And so over the past nine years, I've worked primarily on performance management and data topics. And during that time, I've also helped to lead and and develop a few training programs related to performance. And so when I saw this opportunity come up, it seemed like a great chance for me to use both my skills and background in teaching, but also my passion for performance. And so I do have experience as the director of performance management for the state of Massachusetts, the performance manager for the city of Baltimore, and the chief performance officer for the city of Santa Monica, California. Thank you so much, Tim. Let's go to Richard. Hi, um, I'm Richard Dunks. Um, I just started with GovX Academy in August and just finished up my first class I'm really excited about. For the past six years, I've been delivering training in data analytics, information visualization, and data strategy to government agencies. I was involved with GovX in the kind of the early years, helping set up uh, some of the initial advanced analytics work and work with some of the partner cities. And my background is as an analyst working with data to make it intelligible for decision makers and really am passionate about bringing that, the ability to use data to leverage evidence and information into better decision-making at all levels of government. So that's why I'm excited to be part of GovX, really helping accomplish the mission of helping governments be more data-driven. Thank you, Richard. Uh, We are excited as well to have you here. Thank you so much, Richard and Tim. I know that you have a lot to offer today, and I'm excited to get the conversation started. And last but certainly not least, we have um, Dr. Stacy, who is here with us from the Academy, the backbone of the Academy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Hi, everyone. My name is Stacy Zake. I joined the GovX Academy in March as the new director. And my background is in building executive and professional programs at the university level and working exclusively with graduate and non-traditional adult students over the past many years. I have held positions doing this kind of work at the University of Chicago and Northwestern University and most recently at Brown University. So I'm very excited to bring that work to the GovX Academy and continue to build out the portfolio of courses and trainings that we offer through the academy and also to bring that level of expertise and experience to the ways in which we have had to pivot in the academy to respond to the needs of COVID-19 and the needs of our learners in a 100% virtual environment. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stacey. We are here talking about that very thing today, and I'm glad that uh, you brought that up. So let's go ahead and get started. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what the Academy is and what they actually do? The GovX Academy is the teaching and learning and training unit of the Centers for Civic Impact. And we partner closely with the other centers, the Center for Government Excellence and the Center for Applied Research. We work closely together to develop a portfolio of curriculum, courses, and training events to really speak to the needs of the city partners that the rest of our teams work with through their technical assistance and coaching to manage their data and performance uh, management programs. So the Academy had already been established as having a blended version of online, in-person, and hybrid type trainings and delivery model. But what we had to do in March when the pandemic hit and everyone was sent um, into a 100% virtual world was move all of our trainings into 100% online. That's right. Yeah, absolutely right. The unique thing about the Academy is that we were already very much a presence online. People were already coming to us for online courses and to get instruction. And so the question, the big question today is, how has COVID put an emphasis on that, right? How has COVID changed the way we operate? And what have we found to be some of those things that really work in this new environment? From my perspective, the work that we have had to do quickly is to restructure our level of engagement with our learners to ensure that we are delivering not only high quality programming and curriculum content, but also that we're able to engage them in a very, very noisy online world. Mm -hmm. So whereas at one point, our learners would be in their offices all day and take an hour or 90 minutes out of their schedule to join us in a virtual world. We are now competing with everything else that they have going on in a virtual capacity. It definitely is something that we have had to think about as an academy as we develop and frame our content and find ways to engage um, our learners and keep them interested. And also in thinking about um, the level of fatigue and all of the other distractions that, that our learners have. And one more thing would be, you know, really helping our learners continue to develop professionally and to improve their practice and their skill during a rapidly changing world, um, what they're doing at work, what they're doing professionally, high levels of, of unemployment and layoffs and furloughs and what kind of content are we offering that can help them upskill and master some of their levels of expertise. Sure. So I think that this is a good segue into Michael's role here with us at the Academy as course manager. 
just talking about the learner a little bit and some of the things that have changed in that respect. Do you find that people are more involved in courses in the academy now that we are in the afterlife of of what what we want to call COVID? Or do you feel like things have kind of stayed neutral or is it different somehow? Yes, I will say that the pandemic has actually like turned a number of things uh, in, in either positive and some way provided a number of opportunities as well for us as an academy and at the same time for our learners as well. So we had to make a couple of changes. There are a number of engagement that we used to do in person and there are a number of courses that we also offered per month. But due to the pandemic, we had to also respond to the needs of our learners, especially as they they also adjusted to their um, normal routine, which were in person and now carve out time that we also compete, as Stacey talked about, for their online engagement. So what we did uh, was, one, we have noted that because of the, the the amount of time they will have to spend online, we had to scale back on the number of courses that we used to offer. At first, we were offering at least two courses per month, but we realized that at the start of the pandemic, even enrollment was a little down, not down because there was lack of interest, but it was down because now our learners had to adjust to a number of their online engagement for their offices work as well. And I would say that that actually worked well because for on-course basis, the number, the enrollment did not, it wasn't affected. But if we were offering more courses, we would see that the enrollment was affected by 50%. It was down by 50% because you were not offering the two courses at the same time. But for per courses, it actually went up which was kind of surprising. One of the other ways that we have also noted change was we were also offering a number of pop-ups or on-site training. And uh, most of our audience who would prefer an on-site training and for that matter will not enroll necessarily in an online program, now have no opportunity at all. So they will have to then adjust to the online environment. What was also surprising was uh, especially the engagement when we had um, a number of courses and some of the students were taking at least two or three courses at the same time uh, and they were all engage in the live sessions the online sessions and all that but we realized that the online engagement had gone down a bit and like this talked about it's usually the fatigue of getting onto zoom and even being on your computer all day so um, the online engagement has gone down a bit about 10 percent which is even surprising to me because um, when it all started, we thought that the online engagement, because they will all have to shift their office work online, will reduce drastically. But we haven't seen that drastic reduction in the online engagement, especially the live sessions. But like I said, uh, it's due to the fact that most of them, we have scaled back the number of courses. So for students who are offering two courses, now can make time for only one course, so they will plan it in the app. Right. We were talking about that, right, weren't we, about the the fact that the people that we serve are these essential workers who have increased responsibility both in their jobs and at home, right, because kids are home. So it's like it's harder to engage, you know, fully engage in something online on a course in something that's not necessarily required when you have all of these added responsibilities, again, whether it's through work or through home. So it would make sense, right, that a lot of our attendance um, has gone down since COVID has happened. 
Yeah, that is true. And I think it would be great to hear from the instructor perspective as well. For us managing and seeing this data, uh, I, I wonder how the instructors also adapted and managed to keep the engagement going and in interest of their students, especially how did they manage it and what were some of the things they changed based on the new environment that we have. Uh, it would be great to hear from instructors as well. So maybe if Tim can take that. Sure. Uh, thanks, Michael. So even though I have considerable experience in teaching, this was actually the first time that I've ever taught online. And so certainly even before thinking about it in the COVID context, I you know was thinking about, okay, what are the best ways of engaging students? And so there are a lot of platforms out there, of course, as we know, but I do feel that Zoom has been a great platform for us to use. And I think one of the reasons why is allowing for breakout sessions. So when I first started teaching in GovX, I would usually have one breakout at the end. But I realized in terms of trying to engage students and learners throughout that I would try to break it up. And so I would do maybe a quick mini five or 10 minute lesson. And then I would do a five minute breakout right after that. That certainly helped. Also, thanks to Akisa's ideas and suggestions, I also really tried to focus on one-on-one -on -one meetings. And so every course that I've taught, I've taught two so far, and I have one coming up in a week, I offer one one-on-one -on -one session to students. And that's been, you know, they're usually only 15 minutes, maybe they run over a bit, but they've been a great opportunity for me to engage as well. And then certainly making sure that the discussion boards are not flat and that it's not just someone posting, but that I'm commenting on what's being posted and also other students and other learners are commenting on what their fellow learners are writing. Thank you so much, Tim, for adding that. I think that gives us a good kind of lead into the next conversation we want to have, which is how we're managing, how we're adapting to some of the changes that have taken place. I know that, you know, in the before, the suggestion, the research said every 10 to 15 minutes, it's okay to like engage people, especially in an online environment. You give your lesson, you talk a little bit, and then every 10 to 15 minutes, especially with adults, you would present a question, some type of rhetorical question or a poll or or some way for them to engage with the material. Since COVID has started and since there's been this emphasis in online learning, I should say, even before COVID, it was kind of reduced to like five to 10 minutes in an online environment. But recently, in the beginning of November, I read an article that said that research is drastically changing in this area and that you should engage your participants or your audience every three to five minutes, even, especially with this Zoom fatigue. So I'm going to go to Richard, one of our instructors who actually has a lot of experience even before the academy with like giving um, talks and workshops online. And I just want to know how you handle that engagement piece, because I know you really do a really good job with that. Oh, thank you, Keisha. I really appreciate that. I, I hope so. I mean, I, I really try and keep this engaging. In fact, I really find this moment as uh, a wake-up call for all of us who are instructors, whether we do in-person or virtual online training, uh, to just think more critically and seriously about, intentionally, about how we engage for students and participants. It's easy to get lazy when you've got a body kind of like imprisoned in your in the, in the classroom. You know, you can manage that, but now we, we can't take for granted that we're going to have their attention and we kind of have to earn it more. And so I agree with Tim. I mean, I get them into breakout rooms as quickly as possible, just kind of prime the conversation and let them take it from there. I think one of the big differences in 
professional development ver- with adult learners versus K through 12 or even college education is our learners have a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge already in the subject material. They may not realize that, but they have a lot of things they can share. They just need to be kind of set up in the right environment to share that information and kind of give them permission to do so. So I really feel like it's just, I'm just priming the pump and I'm letting them kind of then start let the knowledge flow and not just from me to them, but from, you know, from them to each other as much as possible. And so creating the environment for that is, is really important. With that also, though, is giving enough structure so they can feel empowered to do something. So these are, and I like doing uh, kind of design thinking exercises, brainstorm, ideate, then move into a discussion that maybe has some kind of visual exercise component to it. So we have something to talk to with a clear result. Hey, look, we created this mind map. We created this whatever, you know, um, thing out of it. So people have some skills also. They can then facilitate this in their own work or at least have some awareness of other creative ways of getting ideas. So it's not just a roundtable discussion. Everyone unmutes and says something and then mutes again. But there is some product that comes out of it. Absolutely. Both you and Tim actually spoke of this idea of facilitating an environment for conversation. And I like to think of this in a dimensional sort of way. So you are a facilitator and you are speaking at your audience. That's what I call one dimensional um, conversation because you're the only one talking. There's no feedback. There's no engagement giving back. And there are times and places for that type of conversation, that one dimensional conversation. And then there's the two dimensional conversation where you engage your audience to the extent that they are talking to you and they are responding to you. They are responding to questions from you. But then there's this rare instance when you become a really great facilitator where you can orchestrate this three-way conversation. And I think it was a little more difficult to do before breakout rooms, but now we have this awesome feature of Zoom that allows us to do that. So I'm going to ask both instructors to speak on this and maybe even Michael as well, but I want to know what are those best practices in using the breakout room to facilitate that that three-way conversation? How do you initiate that? How do you ensure that the goal for the breakout room is executed? And then technology-wise, what needs to happen? What skills need to be in place in order for that to be a successful experience for both the instructor and the learner? We'll start with Richard. Yeah, I mean, I think it's with every exercise, I think you know, you, you want to have a clear purpose and goals for it so that and everyone understands that. So I really try and set up before we go into a breakout room, a clear like, hey, this is what we're doing now. And this is what we expect what we're going to do afterwards. So that's clear. If necessary, appoint some say, hey, pick a, a recorder or whatever else, because you're going to do that. One of the challenges with Zoom is when people click over into the breakout room, You, if you're sharing a screen like slides or something, they lose that. So I try and have handouts or I provide links to the slides so they can have those up and, and refer to them. And then I'm jumping into the breakout room. So as soon as I you know, assign them and they join in, I'm jumping to all of the rooms and checking in and making sure, hey, do you all know what's going on? I, I, again, this speaks to this, not only the online environment, but particularly this COVID moment where people's attention span is very small, very short. Um, so you could be of clear instructions and people are going to forget or they weren't paying attention, they got distracted, whatever else. So it's constantly reinforcing this is the learning objectives, this is what we're doing, this is what I need you to accomplish, and then bouncing back and forth to make sure it's being accomplished. 
I really like that. So some of the things that I'm hearing you say are having clear instructions. I know that uh, we're dealing with adults, but adults have a very short attention span as well when they are having emails and text messages coming through and children that are running around behind them. So I definitely understand the importance of that. Uh, You also talked about role identification, making sure you have a handout that reinforces those instructions, and then circulation. I like to think of circulation like when you're on site training and you're kind of walking around to these different tables to hear exactly what it is they're saying. Thank you so much for that, Rich. Tim, do you have anything to add to those uh, breakout room best practices? No, I would totally agree with Richard. I mean, I would, I would emphasize too that I try to pop into different rooms and I try as much as possible to track who I'm putting. So I, I usually randomize who goes into the rooms, but I'll make notes of who was with whom last week. And I'll make sure that I try to mix it up for the next time because I think, you know, going back to one of the first points that we talked about, lack of kind of outside engagement during COVID, right, is really hard. And so I'm trying as much as possible to use the breakout opportunity as a way for learners to get to know other learners and to make connections. And so I also try to not overload the amount of questions because I really do like there to kind of be, it's going to sound like probably not the right term, but I like there to, to almost be kind of a minute of dead space, meaning I really don't want to rush, you know, learners going through the questions. I really do want them to have a chance to maybe joke a little bit with each other, to get to know each other, to ask each other questions. And so it's obviously hard to do that in an hour, um, you know, and, and not even an hour, right? Because the breakout sessions make up a lot less than that hour. But as much as possible, I try to give them a little time. Yes, I believe that silence is powerful. And you also mentioned this idea of relationship building and networking opportunity, which we're going to get to in a minute. I want to hop over to to Michael because I want him to discuss some of the best practices behind facilitating a breakout room. Uh, Michael is a rock star in assisting some of our instructors during those virtual live sessions, during those synchronous sessions. So I just want you to talk a little bit about how you manage that and how to make sure that they're set up. advance in in a way that's going to be a smooth transition. Sure, thank you, Aki. So the primary goal, especially uh, once you have moved everything on-site to online, the key impact here is how are students going to take in the information? How is information taken in and how do they absorb it? And how do we ensure that the students get the most out of it? So that is what drives drives, um, the, the behind the scene Oh, behind the... No, behind the scenes, you are, <laughs> yes, you are a yeah, behind, ninja yeah. back there. <laughs> yeah, so what, what, what usually happens is that uh, sometimes you will, you will see that some of the students do not have their cameras on, some ha- do not have their mute buttons on, and some are either disengaged. So what you, you, you try to see is that even before you move them to the breakout room, there are some tools that you can ensure that, oh, what would be the preferred room that students want to be, and what topic would they be interested in and like Tim said you also want to maximize their engagement with one another as much as possible because previously online on site they will have the opportunity to strike the personal connections uh, talking to one another absolutely correct yeah so you you want to ensure that you put them in groups where they can continue talking and also sharing their contacts with one another and understanding what what each other is doing especially in their work and how 
uh, the topic being taught or being treated at the time impacts their work and how they can learn from one another. There were a number of instances where some of the students in the discussion, in the group set, in the, in the breakout room, identified that, oh, they are actually working on the same priority for the city. And it was the topic under discussion was an opportunity for them to collaborate. So that is one thing that we do pay attention a lot. So as someone behind the scene also monitoring, I, I tend to like jump from one room to the other, especially in the breakout room, so that I can identify some of these collaborative points and bring it out uh, as part of the correspondence to the students as well. That's a great point. I know that, you know, I keep comparing our world before and after, and we are living in this this new normal, so to speak. Um, but I know that when we were on site, it was very easy. I won't say easy. I will say easier to get to know people, right? You could see their mannerisms. You could see how they reacted and responded to certain things. You could see, you know, those little quirky things that they had. And it allowed you a bit of insight into who they are. But now everything is online. So now we have to be strategic and deliberate, not only as learners, but as facilitators as well, and making sure that people get to know us and get to know each other. So we have to intentionally create spaces for them to be able to build relationships. I know, Tim, you spoke earlier about making use of of one-on-ones, and I would love for you to continue that conversation, but we need to figure out in this new virtual world, how do we build relationships that are intentional and that are meaningful and not necessarily just transactional? How do we make sure that we're reaching out to people just for the sake of getting to know them in the same way that we would have a casual conversation on site. Yeah, I think, again, I would even go back to the discussion boards. Discussion boards can be very flat, but they could also be very dynamic. And so, and Akis reminded us all of this a few days ago, is that the ask of of learners isn't just to post something on the discussion board. And just um, as an FYI, we do a discussion topic typically every week. It's to interact with someone else's post. And I try as much as possible to take an hour or two every week and to go through. And unfortunately, I don't always have the time to comment on every single post, but I try to ask follow-up questions to start a discussion. Also, one thing I try to do is I try to take some of the things that are posted in the discussion boards, and I'll usually will reach out to the learner ahead of time to make sure they're okay with it. But then I'll ask them during the session to bring up that example and to share it. I also try to use the one-on-one sessions as a way to kind of follow up with all of that. And I really use them for a variety of purposes. I mean, one is just kind of a general check-in, a check-in on the content, you know, obviously to see how things are going, if they need extensions, if they have any questions about the assignments. But then I really try to spend most of the time, honestly, focused on discussing how we can connect the work that we're, or the topics that we're talking about in the class with the work that they're doing. I've had several learners, um, probably at least 10 at this point, connect with me on LinkedIn. Some like the day of the last, the last session of the class, some a few days later. Um, and I think fostering those collaborations is great. And also, again, as much as we can, um, fostering collaborations between learners and really trying to make it a dynamic learning environment. Most of the learners, you know, as Richard pointed out, do have a lot of experience in these areas. Some don't. And so also, as much as I can, I try to connect maybe people in cities that have been doing this work for a long time with uh, folks in cities who are just starting out so they can kind of share best practices, tips, and ideas. 
That sounds fantastic. It sounds like you have figured out several different ways to foster that three-dimensional learning we were talking about so that people can come to our courses and build a network that they can then pull from later. Um, There are several ways to reinforce collaboration and share. And so, Rich, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done to make sure that we build relationships as facilitator and learner and just make sure that we are staying in constant communication with our learners. Yeah, I think that's really important to remember that in this online environment, like we are competing with a lot of other, (laughs) these channels that we have to communicate with our learners are very crowded, right? So there's a lot of email that they're getting. And I think being very intentional and focused with our communication to get important information out there. But like Akish, like you said, not just being transactional. So yeah, after Tim and I talked when I first started and in, we, we were in the conversation, he made some comments about like really being focused on how much email we're sending them. And I was like, you know, that's a really good idea. And so I tried doing this Friday newslettery kind of update for students, but not just about hey, you need to do these things. But like I put a Friday funny in there, like a little joke comment thing. And I tried to put in some news articles or something was related to it or something like that. So, and we put some kind of images, made it look nice and just a real easy read. So it was something, especially on a Friday, that they could just read, get what they needed to know, obviously. And it was all upfront and very clear. Hey, we need you to do these things uh, with links so they could accomplish those easily. But also some other information that was just kind of fun to read and enjoyable and consolidated the communication. So it wasn't five separate emails throughout the week about things, but a really, if you read nothing else this week, just read this and it'll have what you need. And these other kind of things that will be fun uh, to, to read through and it will help you as well. Fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing these insights. Um, one of the things that I remember uh, our director really cares so much about is ensuring that students make the most out of this situation. As a result, we had to invest in a number of tools to really like engagement, online engagement tools like near Pole, Pole Everywhere and all that. But from the student's perspective, I want to ask Stacy, what can we be hopeful about this situation? So for instance, like, uh, we don't know how long we are going to be in this situation, especially for the online engagement. And if you continue in this situation for a long time, like in terms of all the investment that you have made and all the resources that you have put into this to ensure that students make the most out of it, what do we, if we are out, what do we lose or what are we gaining in this environment? Like looking at it from the student's perspective in terms of the skills that they are developing in terms of their their independent learning and in terms of what we are also uh, helping them achieve. Yeah, thank you, uh, Michael. That's that's a great question. And from my perspective, we have made a number of what are seemingly small investments in the way we have improved the way we engage with our learners. But I think they have huge, huge impact to the extent, you know, all all of the technology tools, all of the new um, opportunities for engagement that we have implemented into our course development and delivery. I don't think we'll go back because we have made so much progress. Um, And online learning has evolved significantly not just in the past seven or eight months as a result of COVID, but online learning has been 
growing and changing in leaps and bounds since I first started working with asynchronous and synchronous online program development too many years ago to count. The way we're able to package content and deliver instruction and facilitate in the online learning environment is so profound for learners that we will continue to work in this space. I don't believe that that means we won't get back out there on the road and meet our cities where they are and start delivering in-person curriculum and trainings when it's safe to do so again. I think that we will start looking at a balance shift and that most of what we are able to do is to deliver online. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Academy or the Centers for Civic Impact. I mean, we as educators and we in the higher ed space where we're delivering this kind of online and hybrid programming. I think it's here to stay. There are a lot of flaws that we're seeing, especially in the undergraduate delivery of online programs. And I don't even want to touch on the K to 12. That's not I was what about to say that. Exactly. <laughs> um, we but we will see changes that we in the work that we do, working with adult learners and working with executive and professional level students, the work that we're doing is creating a framework for how other um, other levels of education can start to refine that process as well. You're absolutely right. Thank you so much, Stacy, for responding to that. I think that the natural inclination that people have taken is whatever I've done on site, I'm going to now transfer it online, right? This is what I've done. I've had posters. I mean, I've even seen people on Zoom have a poster behind them and they're writing on the poster as opposed to using the whiteboard in Zoom. And so people have this natural inclination to just transfer. They believe that the online skills will just transfer. I don't believe that. And so I want us to transition there and talk a little bit about what are some of those things that need to be different? Um, how is online learning different from on-site learning? Richard? Um, well, I think first of all, a lot of these tools can be used on-site. So, you know, we've been using, looking at things like Poll Everywhere. Um, that is something you can use even in a live presentation. I've seen things like that or Slido or some of these others. And I think it's really great when, for people who don't, feel comfortable saying, you know, responding to a question or whatever to get their input because it's a more personal kind of thing. So first of all, I think that they're bringing this into the on the in-person experience is really good. It, it forces us to expand out. In terms of the differences, obviously, you know, the the captive attention is much better in an, in an in-person environment than an online environment. But I, I like to think that these skills we're cultivating of like constant engagement, constant check-in, getting people into breakout, you know, breakout rooms or, or group discussions. These are tools that make our in-person experience much better as well. So I think there's some great lessons to, to again, going back to my point earlier about improving our pedagogy and, and experience in person from this learning, from this moment that we have of, of experimentation with online experiences. But I do think there is a blending that we can bring, like I said, the tools themselves into this experience and improve all around what we deliver. Agreed. I think that there is an opportunity for us to think really strategically about what lessons or topics 
or activities are actually better online, I think that we'll find that there are some things that we just don't go back to, right? There are some things that where this is just the new normal, it doesn't make sense to travel to Iowa or New Mexico, no offense to those states, but it doesn't make sense to travel there for an intro conversation. We do continue to have those intro conversations online and we save, you know, the traveling for training, for for workshopping, for things that where we really need the outcome to be something different. So what do we do? Right. That's the question. What how do we make the best of our situation right now? What are some of those best practices that you found that really work or really help keep you sane in this online environment? And I'll allow Tim, Rich, Stacy, Michael, anybody to chime in. I just want to know, like, what works? Yeah, I think, you know, I was thinking of the job that I had right when the pandemic started. And certainly we were focused heavily. I was doing some collaborative work with nonprofits in the city where I was working. And certainly we were thinking of the physical impact of COVID. But we very quickly started to focus on the mental health aspect of it and the isolation aspect of it. And, you know, as much as possible, I do think that when there is a collaborative platform like this, it is really important that we use tools as much as we can to really make people feel like they're not alone and to engage them. It's certainly hard to do um, in a lot of ways. I think the idea that Richard provided of, you know, just kind of a funny, you know, Friday message and, and, Things like that, I think, definitely help to an extent. And I also would say kind of what I talked about earlier of trying to develop those collaborations that go past the class even, like through making connections on LinkedIn. And also, you know, Michael is pointing this out too, is we do have a lot of learners who are repeat learners. Um, And so I think one of the things that they find is they find this to be, again, kind of a platform in a way of connecting with others. And so I think that's also a great thing that we have so many People, they keep coming back, um, and I think they do view it as a community. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Tim. I know that you mentioned something about um, tools, and Richard kind of said the same thing. We definitely have started to use um, these engagement tools more often. I think they've become very important now that we want to make sure that people are staying engaged with Nearpart being an opportunity to share your deck and to share engagement, um, MindMeister being a way for people to collaborate together on the same topic and poll everywhere, a way for them to engage with the material and answer questions and survey and you to see those answers in real time and Zoom, my God, like what, what we have done, <laughs> what would we do without Zoom? Like I heard someone say the other day that had COVID happened in 2014 or 2008, what would we have done? Like, where would we be right now? This, the things that we're doing, the strides that we're making, we would not have been able to do in the same way had this been just a few years earlier. So then I guess I will kick it to Rich. Like, what things work? What things have have you put in place to ensure that you are being a good facilitator in this online world? I think the most important thing is uh, remembering that Attention is a very precious resource and really honoring that by offloading as much of the 
housekeeping content, all that kind of stuff to other channels. So whether it's a, a video they can watch or something that's in like our, our learning management system or in the email, just offloading as much of that as possible and really just being very intentional with, I have a very limited time of, it, of their attention that I can expect and making the most of it with whatever I can. And also, and partly because I'm a data person, as I think all of us are here in some way, you know, using polling to get feedback as much as I can. And also just honoring some, there's research that kind of shows that sometimes having your camera on isn't a great idea, especially for large group kinds of things because of, you know, people just getting distracted by things or whatever else. So acknowledging that while as an instructor, I really want to see everyone's face and see how they're doing and how they react like, oh, great. Oh, no. You know, like all those kind of cues, but also encouraging them, particularly in breakout rooms to be a little bit more pro-social <laughs> and share because it is important at times to to have us to see a face, especially around, you know, group discussions or small group discussions and things more intimate moments. But again, I think the most important thing is just every minute, every second of an online experience counts and making and making the most of it as, as you can and whenever possible, cutting the fat. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. I could not agree more. I believe that that is a good transition into this idea of taking care of yourself, right? And taking care of your learners, right? You talked about cutting the fat, being direct. I think that as an, as an online worker, as a remote worker, I think as a facilitator, we all can benefit from direct conversation. For the most part, we communicate with people via text, whether that's emails, whether that is Slack, whether that's actually text messages. And a lot of what we say and mean, um, a lot of emphasis, all of that can be misconstrued via text. So we want to make sure that we're direct in telling people exactly what it is they need to know. And also with taking this idea of taking care of yourself right, as a host. We talked about breaking and giving people time to engage and it's okay to be silent, right? Silence having this, this powerful effect on a presentation or on a workshop. And I just want to know what are some of the ways that, and this probably could be for Stacey, what are some of the ways that you encourage your direct reports, your workers, your colleagues to take care of themselves during this time? We are all like working extended hours, you know, where it was taboo to kind of like open your computer after, after dinner or during dinner, right? It's right there. So you bring your plate up, you like sit in front of the computer and you continue to work. So um, and this is for students that are taking our class. This is for facilitators. How do we take care of ourselves in this online environment? From my perspective as a manager, it is really, really important to me to coach and advise the people on our team to be sure to take care of themselves and to take care of their families, especially during this time. I am a very, very strong advocate for work-life balance and setting parameters around work-life. I hope that I model that for the team. Um, a lot of flexibility in scheduling, um, 
you know, an expectation that projects will move forward and, and the work gets done. But anytime someone needs some flexibility or to set parameters around their work schedule, that is absolutely 100% acceptable. I have found that for myself, it has become very, very difficult in a COVID environment of 100% remote work to have a separation between work and home. Even for those of us who have a lot of experience working at home or flexible days working at home, we had somewhere to go on those other days, a campus and office clients to go meet with, um, something that got us out of the house. And now that separation has completely evaporated and everything that we do is within the four walls of which we live. And I have found that personally to be very challenging. And I try to really shut shut the computer off at, you know, five or 5.30 if I can. Um, I'm very, very protective of my weekends. Um, I've let the team know, I've let my managers know, if you need me over the weekend, send smoke signals or text because I'm not opening my JHU issued little gray box. So I hope that that helps. That, that's the advice I would give our learners and um, their managers and, you know, but as you said way earlier in, in the session, um, many of the people that we um, work with and many of the students that we serve are working in essential and sort of frontline city government, municipal government positions. You know, if you're working for the Department of Health anywhere in the United States right now or around the world, you probably don't have that work-life balance. Yeah, and I think it's uh, talk uh, in addition to that. So it's one of the reasons we also scaled back on the number of courses that we offer to really allow flexibility for our learners. And also, instructors has been extremely generous, extending uh, deadline for assignments and all that to ensure that students are able to cope. By going back to um, the question about what would we have done if this thing happened in twenty say 2012 or 2014? I would say that it's a very interesting question and uh, I would say we don't know. But one thing that we know is that um, our learners would have all, we would all, we, we would have all adapted. And the reason why I'm saying that we would have all adapted is that uh, for these courses, there are a number of, I remember a couple of um, students reached out to me that they don't know how to like even use Zoom. So they had to wait until their kids come in so that they will help them like submit the assignment or they will help them use Zoom. And now the, the reality is that I, I, there was one woman in, it happened in one other course, the woman took another course and I reached back to see if uh, she's been able to adjust and has had a handle on what she's doing in terms of assi submitting assignment online and all that. And she was saying that she thought that, oh, this thing will go over soon so that she can go back and do and go back to the office so she doesn't have to set up all of these things. But now she's realizing that it's taking long. So now instead of relying on his son to teach her, now she's actually asking the son to teach her so that she can manage, manage it herself in the son's uh, absence. So 
by nature human beings tend to adjust and you could see it clearly from the surge in different tools that uh, that are usually turned out there for online engagement we have had like nearpod you have like a number of them like we talked about so it, it actually varies and in terms of adaptation we would have adapted one thing that is also critical i'm sure that it might be a topic for another time is how um the society or the economy in itself is trying to like respond to it and whether there will be a push to going back to the normal that we as we used to have it because of certain economic impact so for instance you talked about prior to the pandemic if you had to do an introduction and had to travel to say iowa or whatever now you can strike that engagement online what that means is that it will be a loss to the airline industry it will be a loss to the hotel industry it will be a loss to uh, even child care those who provide child care and all that because you are home you wouldn't need a child care someone to come and provide that so they are competing interests whilst students are adjusting whilst we are adjusting our offering others will have to adjust to accommodate the pain. So there, uh, there, there is also a battle of whether you go back to our new normal, uh, you, you adjust permanently to our new normal, or we will have to go back to our, our normal as we used to have it. So these are some of the questions that, uh, uh, that really uh, maybe comes up to mind, especially as we are moving towards this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, you definitely brought up some good points about, you know, how is the landscape of our work different? And I think I was just talking to my son about this and you have to you have to see it. You have to see it happening. You have to see it unfolding. And you need to understand that, you know, if I go into this 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 career, this job opportunity, is this going to be profitable to me later based on where this world is going? And I know a lot of people have these arguments about like robots taking over their jobs. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think that robots are taking over jobs. I think that the jobs that uh, that they jump into make our jobs different. These are jobs that didn't necessarily exist. So while these jobs may be taken over, by the so-called robot, you know, there are other jobs that are forming. And so we have to be aware of this landscape of how do I now fit in to this new environment of online learning? As a teacher, do I now need to know how to code? You know, as a teacher, do I now need to know something about artificial intelligence? I know, Rich, you have a little one. I'm sure you're going to be telling him, like, computer science is the way to go, like my mom was telling me in the 90s. Like, you need to learn about computers. It's the new thing. So <laughs> I didn't necessarily listen, but I th do think that computers are now a part of every position in a way that it wasn't before, you know, even as even something small as a cashier onto something as high as a doctor, you need to be able to understand how computers work for your position and for your career. Tim, did you have something to add? Yeah, just really quickly going back to one of Michael's initial comments about um, kind of flexibility and assignment. So so our uh, listeners know we do usually typically um, there's two written assignments in a five week class and, you know, we try to be very flexible and very accommodating. So even though those assignments do need to be turned in, we really just want to make sure the learners are communicating with us. So I've granted several extensions and it's, it's never a problem. One thing I also did, too, is the last class I taught and I plan to do it again, the class I'm starting next week is if learners are about 60 percent or more of the way there by the last week or two, but they're not where they need to be, 
of reaching out to them individually to kind of understand why. And certainly there were a few student learners I had who didn't finish and they let me know that, it, you know, this is all anecdotal, obviously, but that it had to do with impacts of COVID, um, you know, whether it was the health aspect, losing the job aspect. And so we really do want to be as accommodating as possible, but we do obviously realize that people are going through a lot of different things at, at this time. Yeah, I think it's been a, a very great conversation and uh, thank you all for sharing your experiences and um, sharing this with all of us. Before, I, I'm sure you'll be wrapping up soon, but whilst we are doing that, I want you to like, if there's one thing that you can say to our listeners that what they should expect, how they can make the most out of this situation in the online environment that we have, like each of you can, if there's one thing that you want our listeners to take away, how they can make the most out of online learning. Thank you so much, Michael, for saying that. I know that I had definitely have been thinking about something as we have been talking um, and this idea of taking care of yourself, um, this idea of being understanding to, to learners and colleagues. And I just want to say as far as facilitation, it's okay to break. I think that when you're dealing with adult learners, we have a tendency to want to keep going. We even ask them, like, do you want to break or do you want to press forward? Please, please, please break. Because if you don't break, then that means you don't get to drink water. That means you don't get to go to visit the ladies room or the men's room. That means that you don't get that downtime that you need. But more importantly, it means that learners don't get that processing time that they need in order to ensure that they are absorbing the material. So the one thing that I would like you to walk away with is to break often preferably every hour or so, you give about 10 to 15 minutes to your learners to kind of like decompress and absorb what's been said before jumping into the next topic. Yeah, on that really quick, and I'll give my final thought, but I, I actually have music playing at the beginning of my uh, sessions and I actually open it up about 15 minutes before and I have some of my students who actually come in early to just listen to the music. So it's this nice relaxing thing. So that speaks to, I think, what you're saying, Arakish, about a little bit of comfort and self-care and finding those opportunities to just make a relaxing environment in it. Above all, I, I just would emphasize that they need to be intentional and thoughtful and creative. And we talk about the new normal, this is a new normal. And in vestiges of this will continue on in training throughout, whether it's just the expectations have now changed for more asynchronous offline learning or online experiences to su supplement the in-person experiences or whatever. Um, just be intentional, be thoughtful and be creative and, and don't be afraid to change up the rule book um, to, to fit the need of the moment and be responsive to the needs of the students. I would add in closing that my advice to our learners and to our colleagues and um, people that any of us manage is to take advantage of the opportunity to improve yourself and gain access to professional development opportunities during this strange and unusual time. But don't beat yourself up if you can't. There is a lot, a lot to manage for everyone right now. And I remember feeling so bad at the beginning of the pandemic because people were sewing masks and baking bread and taking up hobbies and training horses and unicorns and whatever people were doing during that time, posting on Instagram and Facebook and all of these things about how productive they were being with all of this newfound time at home. 
I was barely keeping my head above water and couldn't even think about another meal that I had to feed a human or a child who was now in the house 24 seven and not eating at school and not having lunch at work. So I would, my advice to, to learners and colleagues and managers and anyone who is listening to our session today is to take advantage of what you can during this time. If you're not commuting and you feel like you have two extra hours a day, use it wisely. But if, if it's not possible and it's not in your, you don't have the bandwidth, don't beat yourself up about it. Thank you so much, Stacey. Tim, do you have any final thoughts for us? Sure. I would really just echo what Stacey and Richard said. And I would say, you know, we're all in this together, right? This has impacted the entire world. And so as much as possible, making sure that the way we're doing our work is deliberate, straightforward, as accommodating as possible. Yes, we have unique challenges, but many of the challenges I'm facing, Richard is facing, Akis is facing, we're all facing. And so it's really important that we, I think, just go into it with that feeling that we are all in this together and we're going to make it through together. Well, thank you so much to you all, our guests, Tim, uh, Richard, and Stacy. We are so much uh, glad that you joined us today. And thank you to you all, our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the Centers for Civic Impact podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at civicimpact.ghu.edu. Until then, see you again next time.